Um, what does revival look like? It's one of those important questions, and we all want revival, and we all see revival. In Tokoroa, back in November this year, and it has been going on for over 35 years, there is a revival. And it lasts from November through to and culminates this weekend. Now, it's the only time where I see people of different nationalities, uh, different abilities, size, age, uh, male, female, um, people that have got jobs, people that haven't got jobs, beneficiaries, um, people that can't keep jobs, uh, come together as one. And where those people share ideas with each other and help each other to complete the course. This, of course, is the Property Brokers-sponsored South Waikato Supersports. Now, it's been running for 35 years, and it starts in November because that's when entries come in. And it's run over five, uh, three days. starts on the Friday night with athletics. And it goes through all day Saturday and all day Sunday. And it has everything from golf, inline skating, swimming, cycling, uh, mountain biking, uh, running, ball skills, you name it. But what makes it a revival is that the people start training. Now, some have training methods that start 1st of January this year, and some start back. Some continue training from the event last year. But it is a revival for those people, and it is a revival for the Tokoroa community because everybody in town comes out to support the event over those three days. The sad thing is it's not a revival for Christ. But the makings of what the people put into that, preparing for it, and the way they work together, regardless of who they are, what they are. I saw a guy last year, he was 130 kilos in November. He was 110 when he competed. He ran up Colson's Hill. He was very tired at the end of it, but he did it. Uh, and he was in his 40s. We have people that come back, and people are so proud to have their name on the thing. That is one revival. Jonah, also there was a revival. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness come up before me. But what did Jonah do? He's a bit like us when we're prompted at times. He uh, gapped it. I'm out of here. I'm on a ship. I don't want to do that. I don't want to go there. It's a bit like, I don't want to talk to that person. I don't want to share what I know. But we read in chapter 3, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim the message I give you. And this time Jonah obeyed. Um, and he took a journey to the city. Now the city was quite big and it took him three days to get round the city. And he kept telling them that within 40 days, God's going to wipe you out. Now, if we think back to Noah, I mean, when God says he's going to wipe something out, I mean, Noah wipe, I mean God wiped something out. Um, Noah didn't know why he was building the ark. Uh, but when God said the flood's coming, these people are misbehaving and not listening to me, I'm going to deal to them. And he dealt to them. He flooded the world. And we know that story. This time, he's asked Jonah to go to Nineveh and, and preach and tell them what's going to happen. 
Um, but the exciting thing here, and what happens to us, is that the Ninevites believed God, and a fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. And when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his robes, and covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. And this a proclamation he issued to Nineveh. By, this, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people, animals, be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows God may yet relent with compassion and turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. And God did. He relented. Now, in Colson's Hill, I don't know whether you've been to Tokoro or driving through State Highway 1, Colson Hill's on the left-hand side as you go in, and it's quite steep, and there's a lookout up the top. And I go up there from time to time and pray over the city. I work in Tokoro two days a week. And I pray for revival. Um, and I pray for them to turn away from their evil ways. And I can only believe on what has happened before. You know, like the great Welsh revival, how people changed. We read in Nehemiah that he had put on his heart to revive Jerusalem. The walls of Jerusalem were broken down and its gates had been burnt with fire. And he fasted and prayed because he was so hurt by it that he wanted to do something about it. And when he heard these things, he sat down and wept for some days. And I mourned and fasted and prayed before God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenants of love with those who love him, keep his covenants. Let your ears be attentive and your eyes open. Hear my prayer, your, servants is pray, your servant is praying before you this day and night. And your people, to, um, the people of Israel, confess their sins including myself, my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commandments, decrees, and laws, Moses. And God blessed him. And he went to Jerusalem. And he spent time, three days, he spent looking at the, the problem. And he got the people on board, their hopelessness to rebuild and they revived in themselves by working together. Hand in hand, they rebuilt the wall and developed a camaraderie in Jerusalem at that time that couldn't be rivaled. Even when the enemy stacked up against them, they stood shoulder to shoulder, one, one hand working and the other one building. And after that, they all gathered in the square and stood all day and listen to the word. Can you imagine getting everybody in Tauranga to stand in one place while um, Eric read the word from cover to cover and they stood there and listened? Half the time we can't stand for five minutes. You know, our change in the way we see things. Now we go to Peter and um, Acts 2. And, and the day of Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit came in, and, and the, you know, the change. And we think about that. Peter had already denied Jesus three times. Yet Jesus wanted to build his church on him. 
And as Paul said, he asked him three times. And each time the word for love he used was the one of friendship, not the one of intimacy where I would die for you until the third time. The thing is that when Pentecost happened, when the revival happened, and then when Peter got up and spoke, those people have been travelling with Jesus for three years, listening to the word, being taught the word, and they were prepared for the revival to take place. Paul went on. He knew the word backwards because he had studied it front to back and could carry that on. In uh, 1980, not, uh, sorry, excuse me, in 1800, a Methodist preacher named James McCready began asking three small congregations scattered along the Gasper River to fast every third Saturday and pray for revival, and their prayers were answered. That was the start of the Second Great Awakening. People still travelled to that little church that if, if you breathed in, you could fit more than 20 people, probably about the same size as this room here, that you could fit people. But thousands upon thousands came to the Lord. So why can't we have revival like that again? I mean, Billy Graham, we had the Welsh revival and things changed. And that started with a group of ladies praying and brought in some preachers who shared the word. Billy Graham in the 60s and 70s preached and people came. Imagine Thai Park full of everybody in Welcome Bay and then they all walk in to the sea, into the estuary full tide, they're not, you know, it's only going to come up to their waist. We could take 20,000 people in, in Welcome Bay and all be baptised at one time. Can you imagine that? Can you, could, could you see that happening? So why can't we have revival like that again? Isaiah chapter 43, which is on the front of your newsletters, is a message to the suffering people of Israel. It presents a big if. Isaiah is essentially telling the people, you've sinned, you've missed the point, you've turned away from me, so I'm about to allow you to go through punishment. But just as I deliver you as a nation before, I will do it again, if you will repent and return to me. Now I asked Paul to do communion after this. And the reason why I wanted him to do it after this is because I want you to search your bodies or your minds and your souls and everything so that when you take communion, you are prepared. Because everything about revival is preparing ourselves first. But coming back to this, um, where did I get to? God reminded his people of his pre previous work of deliverance. This is what the Lord says, He who made a way through the seas, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there, never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like the wick of a candle. So he's reminding of what he'd done. But just as they begin to reminisce about the way things used to be, he interrupts their thoughts. But forget all that. 
verse 18. Forget the former things. Forget all that, but we need that kind of deliverance again. Forget all that. We want a repeat of those miracles. We desire a duplication of those great things, previous preparations experienced. But really, forget all that. Why? Because the prophecy continues. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and the streams in the wasteland. Today's society is a wilderness. It's sinful, deceitful, it's changing. And when you think about all the things that Paul mentioned that are going on in the world, if we just think about our own patch for a minute, pornography, lack of finances, the way we treat each other. You know, we're quick to judge and slow to love. You know, even in church, we are judging what's happening, what baby's crying. Could they do something about that? What hymn are we singing? Could we change that hymn? Is Eric's volume up or down? Is the system working? I don't know whether I like the preacher today. You know, we're judging things all the time, but that's not what it's about. In a sense, God is doing an old thing, reviving his people in a way we've not witnessed before. And rather than embrace it, we keep searching for the kind of revival we want to experience. Now, we want the Holy Spirit to wish through here. We want warm winds. We want tongues of fire. But actually, I don't want to change. You know, I'd like Paul to change. Gerald, I think you could do with a bit of work. Craig, <laughs> you, could, you could change. Cybron, you know, but this is, you know, we, you know, we're quick. Well, quite here. You know, we we all could change, but I don't want to change. I want to be touched with the Holy Spirit, but I want to carry on in my normal worldly ways and catch up with the mates for a beer and cuss and swear, swear and be part of that group as well. So we need to embrace it. We need to search for a revival and an experience in our own lives. Make no mistake, God is absolutely doing amazing work. Um, and, and he's bringing the gospel with this generation in sometimes surprisingly innovative ways. Like, I don't understand the internet. Switching on a computer and switching it off. If, if I've got a problem, that's about me. Um, but other people are into it. Don't fight it. Become consumed with the kind of pride that leads to nothing but criticism of everything God is doing. Let revival, let us, let, let's do revival together. Revival happens when two things come together. They are the providence of God and the release of the Holy Spirit. Providence of God is an essential aspect of, my true Christian, of a true Christian revival. We must understand that revival is not something that we can conjure up with certain works or methods or meetings. Just because you announce a series of sermons on revival, uh, it's not going to cause a revival. Just because you bring in particular speakers, uh, it's not going to happen. Revival comes when leadership and members of the church place their entire dependence upon the grace of God alone. 
All God's providence flows from his grace. Hebrews 4.16, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. There's no better time now. When we are in need of revival, we have to come to the throne of grace and receive the grace of renewal. It is grace that helps us once again to renew, revive, restore once again. It is not by our works that we should boast. And the thing of all the revivals I've talked about, everybody was fasting and praying. While they were waiting for the Holy Spirit to arrive, they were up in the upper room praying and fasting. Don't know about Jonah, maybe that's why he ran away, because it doesn't say that he was fasting and praying. Um, he, was, he had already made up his mind to gap it. But Nehemiah was fasting and praying. Paul fasted and prayed. We can't even fa fast half a day. That little church, they put it down to one day of fasting a month to focus on revival. Now, I know some people have medical uh, reasons why they can't fast, but having even a, having a technology-free day, believe it or not, is a form of fasting. And in today's modern society, if we look at revival in a totally different way, because I don't believe we're going to have the, the warm winds and the tongues of fire. I think it's going to be something different. It's going to take each one of you having a conversation with somebody else who has a conversation with somebody else who has a conversation with somebody else until we get a momentum and a, and a swelling of people that we can't hold the tide back. I, you know, we're going to fill Tide Park. This congregation here could fill Tide Park. What do you think about that? But if you can't perceive it and believe it, it's not, you can't achieve it. If you want revival to happen around you, it's not going to happen. I mean, you have to be willing to risk looking like a fool. You know, I, I've mastered it. I've, I've got it. I've got it in space. Um, revi revival starts with you. You don't go off to some meetings. We've talked about that. You'll find revival when you ask yourself questions similar to these. Has your spiritual life got old and stagnant? Is your family, church, community or nation in a spiritual decline? And we know New Zealand is definitely in a spiritual decline. If the answer is yes, are you willing to go to the throne of grace and fall and admit these things to God? Are you willing to seek God for the grace to be revived personally? Are you willing to lay down self and surrender and yield to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life as he empowers you to touch the lives of others? If you do no longer will you need to ask, what is revival? Instead, you will experience revival, and a revival will be found in you. You can then lead others on the journey to revival and experience. Psalm 85, 6. Won't you revive us again so your people can rejoice in you? Amen? Now, I know we've got communion and but afterwards. I do have 10 things. Do you want me to carry on and tell you those? We'll just run a smidge a bit later. I can tell by the enthusiasm and the nodding of the heads I'm going to go for it. So there. How to experience revival now? Oh, that was my warning. I don't know whether you've heard of a guy called Jim Quick. 
he's an Asian guy, he talks about quick learning. And his quick learning is FAST, all right? And it's an acronym of FAST. And the F stands for forget. So I want you to forget about what revival looked like. I want you to just focus on what it could be. The A stands for active. And you have to be active in this. You have to go out searching and looking and learning, listening. You have to put your mind in the right state to take on board the information. And the fourth thing, the T stands for teach. And that's just sharing. And that's what the 12 did. They shared the gospel. So here we go. One, let go of our preconceived parameters for what is an acceptable movement of God. Pray with an open heart, too. Pray with an open heart, asking God to point out our sins and our shame. Repent is number three. Confess our sins to God and ask for forgiveness in Jesus' name. In all the stuff that I've read about revivals, it started with the group actually being honest with themselves and sharing the sins that were inside them that they hadn't shared with other people. I have some that I still haven't unpacked and shared. And I don't believe revival is going to come or I can be as effective with revival until I do that. Four, fast as a declaration. And that's what it's about. It's a declaration. It's putting your body through something so you're focused on what you're doing. Five, seek him. Not just as an experience of him, but him. This is worship. Watch for God to show up and work. After all, his desire is to save as many as will hear. And we already see that. We see his work, his handiwork. Practice discernment and guard against emotional but spiritual empty counterfeit revival. Eight, embrace churches and movements that don't look like yours celebrating your differences. Nine, love the lost the least and the last, and adopt a Jesus-style ministry for the broken. And 10, grow broader, deeper, closer, and stronger, even as we grow larger. Let us pray. Psalm 19, 37 says, Turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things and revive me in your ways. Heavenly Father, we just thank you this morning that we can come, open our hearts and minds to you. Lord, as people start to prepare for communion and Paul comes and leads them through that, I just pray that they go through item by item, every shelf, dusty, cobwebbed shelf, things that have been hanging around for a long time. And I just pray that they seek out people with discernment, non-judgment people who will love and help. Lord, I just pray for a revival in this little church. I pray for revival in our community. And as we know, revival spread through countries, other nations. And I just pray that we can be that light that you have put in us. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen.